0: hey folks and welcome to typology the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the enneagram i'm anthony skinner producer of the show and we are happy to have you here with us today before i get to our guest i want to let you know that we are thrilled to announce that typology podcast is hitting the road join Ian and myself for the first ever live recording of Typology at the Balboa Theater in San Diego on March 21st, 2020. Hey, that's coming up, folks. It's going to be a really, really fun night with some surprise guests that we're excited to announce very soon. Tickets are already on sale at typologypodcast.com. That's T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y podcast.com. So go there and get your tickets today. Also, be sure and follow us on social media. That's at Typology Podcast and at Ian Morgan Cron. Okay, let's get to our guest today. We have Jenny Allen, who is the founder and visionary of the well-known IF gathering, which is actually coming up here very soon. Jenny is a sought-after speaker. She is taught at Women of Faith, Catalyst, and Q Conferences. She's the author of several books, including Restless, Anything, Nothing to Prove, and her brand-new book, Get Out of Your Head, Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts, which just released on January 28th, so be sure and grab that. She is also host of the podcast titled Made for This. She is an Enneagram 7. Can't wait till you hear from her today. So let's get on with it. And now let's join Jenny Allen and the host of our show, Ian Cron.
1: Jenny Allen, welcome to Typology.
2: Great to be here, Ian. I am so
1: excited to be having this conversation with you today for a number of reasons. One, I love (laughs) 7s.
2: Oh, good. Yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Yay for the enthusiasts. Um the the, yes. s- the second reason is because of the title of your new book, which is Get Out of Your Head Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts. Um and the reason I'm excited about it is I think we've been reading a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. And Did
2: you look at my sources? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: And so all I this mean. conversation around neuroplasticity, yes. uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, this is all in my wheelhouse. So we're going to have fun, I think.
2: Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait.
1: I also think we've shared a stage at Catalyst. Is that, is that right?
2: Yes, maybe so. I'm trying to think where I've met you more than once. But yes, I mean, I, I've been at Catalyst a few times and probably met you in that green room. Probably, although
1: those are always nerve-wracking moments uh, in those, those, at least for me. For some people, it seems like it's another walk in the park. But when I got to speak in front of 8,000 people, I tend to be a little tense.
2: (laughs) Hey, but I bet there's more than 8,000 people listening right now. So you just have to think of it like that. Yeah,
1: but they're not here in the studio staring at me (laughs) and judging me to my face. So that's probably a better thing. So first of all, before we jump into this whole topic of toxic thoughts and getting out of our heads and freeing ourselves from self-limiting stories, right, that we begin to launch in our minds, Uh, this is a struggle for everybody, regardless of type, tell us about your Enneagram journey.
2: So I feel like I heard about it even before your book, The Road Back to You, came out. And I say that timing because, really, I didn't understand it until I read your book. That was really my first in-depth, deep dive into it. But I heard about it prior. And I think the first friend that told me about it, when I heard about it, I was like, woo-woo, you know. But at the same time, I was fascinated. And we were walking around the lake in Austin, Texas, and she just started saying how it had changed her life. And she started diagnosing me. And a lot of people, of course, in those early years before I had read your book, were diagnosing each other. And I, you know, everybody diagnosed me the same. It is not what I actually am. But I continually was diagnosed as a certain number. And when I read your book, I think it was the first time I really wanted to take the test because I read it and I did not relate to the three, really. It was three. That was the one I was constantly diagnosed as. And I'm slightly scared, Ian. Because here I am, like I I don't know. Like I'm going to tell you, I'm I, <laughs> I have limited knowledge about this. My sister actually leads people through the enneagram. They work out at a ranch called Lost Valley Ranch, and she takes her team through it. She takes guests through it, and so she is the expert. I called her right before this because I was just nervous. I was like, I I don't I think this is what I am. So you know, you will we'll see. You can do therapy on me here, uh, but because everybody diagnosed me at three. And I think it's because I do accomplish so much, but all of my weaknesses, all of my motivation for that accomplishment, everything resonated when I got to the seven. Mm. And so when I read the seven, I got online and took the test and of course tested a seven, three, and then an eight. Yes. And so because seven and eight were both, because seven and eight were both on there, I thought that is really where I'm gonna choose because I relate most and because I see a wing that's pretty obvious mm-hmm. so
1: yeah normally when people tell me that they they're uncertain uh, of their type and they tell me uh, that they either test or from their reading they think they're one of two numbers that are side by side I, z- I, I, z- I zero in on that first because oftentimes people have either identified as their wing or, you know, they've accurately uh, self-identified as their actual type. It doesn't mean you're not a three. It's just that's where my attention migrates first is, okay, there's a seven, eight. Chances are that's core type or wing. Uh, we're just not sure in which direction yet. Um, three sevens and eights are in what's called the assertive stance. So, oh, shoot, <laughs> yeah, those three numbers are the most assertive. Uh, sometimes people will use the word aggressive, but that doesn't mean in the negative sense of the word. It, it just means that three sevens and eights when they want something, they just go and get it or ask for yeah. it. They're just very bold. Right. I'm a four. <laughs> that is uh, I have a very strong three wing and I've learned how to go and ask for what I want or for what I need uh, very directly. But it's not it's not, I have to burn more calories than a three, seven or eight to do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's pretty much my mojo. I mean, I, yeah, I think I still operated when I look back at my life. I think growing up, I definitely had a desire to please my dad. Like I look back and see a lot of woundedness that I related to in the three. But if I take out my woundedness, if I take out, you know, the, just the broken parts and I just look at like clearly how I was always motivated, how my brain worked, my creativity, um, my inability to sit still. If I, you know, if I look at that, even as a child, I think I still relate more to the seven.
1: Right. Well, you're the only one who can uh, discern and tell others your type. Okay. A lot of people in their enthusiasm will uh, try to help quote unquote, air quotes, others determine their type. And and often because many of them are newcomers to the system, they mistype somebody and it's not helpful.
2: Okay. So let me tell you why the main reason okay. I'm going to land with seven and I have, and it has helped my team at work. Uh, it has helped everybody so much with understanding me. And so I really am going to stay there with seven. But the reason at the deciding point that I chose seven was because I was motivated more by sucking the marrow out of life and meaning than I was what everybody thought. I'm not saying I don't care what other people think, but when I think of my own motivation for what I do and why I do what I do, it isn't to get applause and it isn't so that everybody notices. And I don't feel a lot of, you know, pride or excitement when they do. What I feel is, did it matter? Is it gonna matter for the long term? Um, did it help? You know, those are the questions I'm constantly asking myself. And so that to me fit more, even though I accomplished a lot, that to me was really the deciding factor.
1: So the unconscious motivation of the three is a compulsive need to succeed, to have others see them as a success and to avoid failure at all costs. I don't feel that way. Okay. For the seven, it's a, it's a need to, uh, avoid pain and deprivation and to and the way this the sort of the strategy for avoiding pain and deprivation is continually looking to the future for unlimited possibilities of always thinking about the I have next
2: seven. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I don't need you to go any further that is me to a false two-way fault. My kids are like, mom, why do you have to talk about the future all the time? And it's true. And I'm like an eternal optimist. And I always believe the best. And I'm like, we can s- save this. This can work. Like problems are my greatest friend because we can overcome something or triumph. You know, like I, I have a weird, uh, fast and what do problems do? They bring change, you know? So I'm somewhat in, and, and I have enough faith that I'm not afraid of conflict. I'm not afraid to, you know, for it to be messy or hard. So, Yeah. And I'm an ADD diagnosed creative. So, you know, the next project is, yeah, I'm hoping you can just fix me. Like you can tell me, Ian, like what I need to do (laughs) because I am. Yes, I have all of the dark side of seven for
1: Mm. sure. Well, uh, as is true with every type, we all have a dark side, right? Uh, We all have a shadow that requires us to uh, become self-aware of it and to, Really, to mitigate the really dark side of the type so that the best part of who we are comes to the fore without hindrance. Yeah. And you know sevens are awesome. My son is a seven. My son-in-law is a seven. I adore sevens. Um, when you all are healthy, you bring so much juice to life. I mean, it's just you're juicy people. That's a good word <laughs> for you all. Um, you 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 come in a room and you you're activators. You you make people you you bring an optimism that inspires other people. They begin to believe. Um, uh, all the possibilities for a future that they didn't see because but you did, right? And so I mean, you you all bring so much to the table. Um, but like every other type, you just you just want to make sure that you're aligned with the best side of your type, not the one that's gonna get you into trouble.
2: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to wait for a question there. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, we'll get to it. I'm
2: not going to volunteer all my trouble yet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a little
1: worried about something you said earlier, which is like you were nervous about coming on because people had said you were going to get some therapy in the process. And I was yes. like, God, I hope I'm not getting a reputation for...
2: Well, and if you know sevens, it's I don't want that. I'm like, oh, you're going to make me talk about my dark side. Yeah. But I will say... That is my favorite thing about the Enneagram, if we're still on the journey part of this, is that it has reframed and changed the way that I work. It has retrained and changed the way I parent, that I'm married, our weekend plans. I mean, my husband is at three. That's another reason I know I'm not. And every weekend he would say, okay, like here's the list of projects we're going to do this weekend. And I, all I wanted to do was have fun. I was like, I've worked all week. All I want to do is have fun. And we would fight. Oh my gosh, we would fight about the weekend. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm fine getting a few things done. If there's a reward, like if you can (laughs) make a reward, if you can say, Hey, um, I'll tell you what, we're going to clean out the garage, but then tonight we're going to go out with a Two, these two couple friends, and we're gonna go to this great new restaurant. The lighting's really good there, and the music and the food, like all of that. I am in. I, and especially if it's a new restaurant, I love going to new restaurants. So, oh man! Anyway, that's all. That.
1: That's all seven stuff, Jenny. Oh,
2: yeah. I know. But you know,
1: I, you know, uh, I love talking about uh, relationships with types because here's where this gets really good. The three can help you focus and become more practically oriented, right? Uh, in terms of projects, um, how to see them through in a way that sometimes sevens get distracted, you know, and they, they, they get three quarters of the way through a project before they see another one that they go, ooh, it's shiny, oh, yeah. right?
2: It's terrible. Yes. I, 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 you know, I actually launched an organization and when I did it, one of my thoughts was, this could be my, New shiny, this could be my way to create new shiny things forever in the same place. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, I realized I've got to have an environment where I can build things over and over and over again, and I can do the new things, but I'm not scattered in 12 different fields or 12 different places, but the energy can go in the same direction. And I think when I launched If Gathering, I thought this could be everything, this could be anything I want it to be. You know, we my heart and my passion is investing in this generation of women, but the means and the ways to do that change by the you know, year, the, the, for sure by the, every five years or so. So it's been fun to kind of have a way to focus mm-hmm. that all of this is in the same vein and it's going towards the same cause but I can do and launch different things within it.
1: Mm, that's so good for a seven because like, for example, I was speaking to the founder and CEO of a fairly large company the other day, and he said to me, you know at five years in, and this is a company with you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, rev, you know, in sales a year, and he said, you know, about halfway into this 10 year, 15 year journey, I realized that I needed to make, I needed to hire a CEO and And I needed to step out of that role and and sort of bring my particular gift set into new areas. Uh, and I yeah. thought, man, that's a smart seven boy.
2: Okay, So I did that. <laughs> that happened to me. Um we lead a team at if gathering of you know fifteen to twenty people depending on the season. and i I had to do this because I was the name CEO. And I got to a place where I was truly unhappy, mm-hmm. and I went to a place called Patterson, which is like coaching, kind of life coaching in stratops. I know, and I, I, I met, know,
1: I know the Patterson Group out in Colorado. Okay,
2: so I met with Pete. Right? Like yeah. And Pete, I he I showed up on the first day, and he said, "Jenny, what do you want to get from this?" I was like, "I want permission to quit." I said, "I'm that burnout, mm. and I just I want to quit." And he said, "Okay." Well, I've been with you for five minutes and I think I already know what's wrong with you, but we're going to go through the three days. You know, (laughs) we're going to do the process, but I bet you 99% that I'm right, but I'm not going to tell you what's wrong with you until the end. And so he calls it founder's syndrome, that I'm a typical creative that, you know, a lot of creatives are ADD, which I am, and a lot of creatives are sevens, and I'm your, your typical creative who created something that succeeded, and now you feel like you have to manage it and you're dying and you're doing yes you moved somewhere from the creativity to the management and and so it was the most spring thing it was so funny i was so nervous to come back to my team because i was basically gonna pull out of everything that i hated and that felt selfish to me that felt like i am i have my own you know happiness above the organization if that makes sense Mm -hmm that was my fear that was the lie that i was really living under which is why i stayed in that even though i knew i wasn't in my sweet spot even though i knew it wasn't healthy and i wasn't happy and so when i came back and told my whole team at the table like what i'd learned they all started laughing and i said so i'm going to hire an executive director and i'm going to pull back from that role and i'm going to really enter as a creative and a visionary and they all just were laughing and and they they were like Jenny Duh, like (laughs) we know this is how you are. Like, this isn't news to us. And I'm so glad you know it now, like that you had to go away and get permission. But we support this 100%. And it has changed my life more than any other thing I've done in the last 10 years, appointing executive directors over both ends of my ministry. So, my writing, speaking, podcast, all of that is under one executive director. And My organization, my nonprofit, If Gathering, is under a new or different executive director. And they're both titled that. They both have, um, and they they have all the power to run those two organizations. Mm. And I am so happy.
1: That is an awesome seven story. And it's a lesson for sevens. Uh, because sometimes they get stuck in those roles, and they make their lousy managers. Generally, I'm not saying they all are, but most sevens are not good managers. Typically, one of the ways that sevens get into trouble in the workplace is when they get into leadership. They always what they tend to want to do is flatten the hierarchy, because they don't want to be the boss. They they want to be in a sort of a relationship with other people. Number one, where they don't have to bring the bad news, where they have to dim the shine because, yep. you know, it's like, that's what sometimes CEOs have to do, right? So typically I tell a seven, go find a three yes. uh, because they're much better managers. And, and another problem I think sevens get into is they begin to threaten the stability of the organization,
2: oh i would have <laughs> yeah right Be- i would have i was on my i was on my way well
1: you're bigger risk takers than a three is uh you'll uh, especially if you have an eight wing you'll you'll go out of your you'll start to do stuff that you know when you have 20 people now you have 20 people with income and benefits and all yes. kinds of things and they want to protect stability and you're coming in with new ideas that could really risk the organization's like life and th- you know that's where <laughs> you start to run into problems uh oftentimes as a, as seven ceos
2: yes yeah. and i would say the best um year of my leadership has been this last year oh. and i've I have just found more joy in it. It has not even been hard to let go. I still get to bring um, creativity and vision and ideas, and I get to see those visions realized, but I don't carry the weight of, do we have the money for this, and what is this going to cost our people resource-wise? And is that, you know, I don't carry the weight of all that. They let me come in with my markers and they let me whiteboard up a storm and then I get to walk out and they get to decide together, like, is this something we can do right now? Is this something we need to do in a year or further? Um, and, and it's just, it has, I love work again. I love it.
1: Well, Jenny, you really described uh, in a way that's, you know, actually perfect how a seven needs to lead and how they need to set up organizations to succeed. Um, Because if you don't, like a lot of times, like sevens will come into meetings with 50 ideas and people of different types will hear that and think, oh, that's the plan. Well, that's not the plan. That's the seven just ideating
2: Oh, that would happen all the time. And my poor sweet sixes and threes and ones, they would all like go and like try to figure it out. And then, and they'd spend a week of their life. And then they'd come back to me and they'd say, Jenny, here's how we think maybe we can do it. And I moved on. Yes, And I was like, no, that was just a brainstorm. I didn't mean for you to build out a business plan around it. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't even know if we want to do this. Do we want to do this? Cause I'm so collaborative that sometimes I think that was another part that was so hard for my team was I I have an eight. So everything I say, it's with great gumption and great authority. You know, like I say it so strong. And then I'll walk out of a room and of course they all think I mean it and that it's, you know, cement and like Ten Commandments in the office, like put it up. And I'm thinking I was just verbally processing and I wanted y'all to push back and like tell me what you thought. And so I think one of the other helpful things in the Enneagram for me has just been realizing um, that eight wing of mine and how. Um, in fact, some people that have seen me with other eights think I'm an eight because I just, when I get safe to where I can really spar and I know I'm not going to hurt that person, I mean, that part of me comes in really strong. And, and I think my team would just be overwhelmed with all of it. They Mm -hmm. just, they didn't know how to take it. And I think us all understanding the Enneagram together, which I, I almost could tell you, I mean, there's 15 to 20 teammates and I can almost tell you what all of them are. Um, it, because we constantly use that language, and it just gave us grace for each other. It gave us um, the ability to, rather than be annoyed that I was that kind of boss. Once I was humble enough to say, "You know what? I realize how this is hurting you, and I realize what I'm doing." I think they could have the grace for me to let me still be me, mm. and I think that's what I found this year is is now that they know how to take me and that it's brainstorming and they that I want their feedback and I want to be pushed back on that I'm not an authoritative type of leader um that I'm a collaborative one. I think now they know better how to engage
1: mm-hmm. that. Well, and again, the fact that you have humility is another sign of health because sevens don't typically have a lot of humility. <laughs> Young I don't know if everybody would say
2: I did, but I think I have sobriety, you know. Right. I think I have I, I'm clear about what I am and I'm clear about what I'm not. And And that doesn't, I don't have pride about that. I don't have an ego about what I'm not. I probably have an ego about what I am good at, but I I don't think I have, um, I'm not afraid of my weakness. And I've seen God use that. I've seen God honestly use my weakness more than my strength. So Mm -hmm. I think I'm more at ease with my weakness than I used to be.
1: So you know what? Uh, A seven who is not very self-aware, they tend to be narcissists and they tend to be, they tend to overestimate their gifts and intelligence. I know but that's a seven who just isn't very in touch with uh, those are sevens who suffer from reality recognition disorder you know it's like they they just tend to think um, that they are a little superior to others in terms of intelligence and giftedness and um, and in many ways oftentimes they are but they they tend to think it and live out of that space more than they should.
2: And I would say on that level, I don't think I relate because, and maybe this is why I look like a three disk people too, was I got thrown into the deep end of public ministry, writing, speaking, all of it. And it happened so fast. And I don't ever think even still that I feel equipped for it. Like, I think I constantly looking for approval in that way. Like, just, am I okay? Like, do I belong here? Is this, I think there's still like a fraud fear in me of I mean, I remember the first time I ever went to my first publisher, Thomas Nelson, and they took me to a really nice dinner before and they said, we're gonna bring all these teams together to talk to you. And I didn't have a very big platform and I honestly looking back, I, I think they probably still even wonder like, why did we take that risk on her? And I remember just being so terrified that they thought I was something I wasn't, that they thought I could do something that I couldn't. And so I went in and my husband said that night when I was talking to him on the phone, he said, Jenny, I want you to go in tomorrow and I want you to be the least fancy version of yourself. So at least then, if they still want you, like you weren't pretending to be something you weren't. And that was freeing to me. But I still think I've always, I've always known that there is a fancy version of myself somewhere that I, I don't know, like maybe that one would serve me better, (laughs) but but I think people, you know, I, I also think I've been more at ease with myself and in ministry because I haven't accessed her very often. Like, but at the same time, I'm in such the major leagues of ministry and life and work that I don't know. I, I don't know that I have that tied up with a bow because I still sometimes wish I was um, more gifted. I don't. So I don't totally relate to mm-hmm. <laughs> the one that under- overestimates her gifts. Mm well let's talk about your new book uh your
1: new book okay. yeah get out of your head uh stepping or stopping the spiral of of toxic thoughts um i think it is fascinating that a seven has written a book called get out of your head since you are in the thinking triad <laughs> the, you're very cerebral people though you you often i think look like heart people because you tend to be affectionate uh you tend to be tactile i know a lot of sevens who are you throw their arm around you, they, you know what I mean? They're, they're just, you know, people who make friends pretty darn fast, you know, but you definitely are thinkers. And I want to talk about why a seven would like to get out of their, their toxic thoughts (laughs) uh, a little bit um, and and sort of probe that uh, in some ways. Um, What are, what do you think are some of the, the, the typical toxic thoughts of an Enneagram seven?
2: Oh, okay. I don't know what the book says, but I can tell you what mine are. Um, and that's, you know, some of them are kind of like threes. Like, am I doing enough? Am I performing, you know, at the level that matters? You know, like, is it, is it working? Is it helpful? Is it meaning something? Um, I constantly feel like time is ticking and almost to the point of, um, morbid thoughts like just oh my gosh my life's going so fast you know I can barely like be present with my kids like growing up because I just constantly feel like it's going too fast and um, and I just I think I have this fear of I don't know life slipping by I think that's probably the biggest one that's the most regular in my mind that I think about almost every night and every day and and I to call that. To, I know some people would go, that's really healthy to think about those things, but it's not when it pulls you out of the present and it's not when it pulls you almost to an addiction of, of thinking ahead to the future. I mean, my kids would just say, that's probably my biggest weakness with them is I'm, you know, before I sent my son to college, I just despaired for like two whole years about it. And then he goes and then I'm thinking, okay, well, after college, depending on the type of job you take and he's, you know, just started college. So I'm always like forecasting You know, and and in that part, I sound like a six because I sound really fearful. And I think when it comes to my kids that I can, my six can come out. I guess everybody can wing either way. Is that right? Yes. I don't know. Yes.
1: And I I would also say, though, that you are in the fear triad. You and sixes, I mean, this is hard for people to get, but I'll explain it. Sevens are every bit as much as fearful as sixes. This is very important. Sixes cope with anxiety and fear with pessimism and sevens cope with fear with optimism. <sighs> My
2: mind is blown. My mind is blown because I have, yes, I have fear for sure. I have fear and I haven't, I haven't known how to fit that in what I feel like is a pretty clear. I'm clearly a seven and eight both show up a lot. That is so interesting. Mm. So yes, I do. I I do have a lot of fear and insecurity, like I said, so I don't know. I don't know. I think those, those spirals for me have been, um, certainly and can be an anxiety depending on how healthy I am. You know, I've been through seasons of counseling to work on that, which aren't you proud of me? Yes.
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: (laughs) I don't ever crave it, but I do do it and I show up for it. Um, I know I need it sometimes. And And I, I love that because that is what I would say I do almost probably, I'm so insecure because I'm like, people I love and know are going to listen to this and be like, yes, Jenny, duh. Like, yes, you obsess about, um, the future and yes, you are, you know, so I do feel like this is, this is so obvious to people that know me, but I, I do fixate on, um, on problems and, but that's how I cope is optimism. For sure. Well, you know, sevens like
1: wow.
0: solving problems. I do. Yeah. Hey, we hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part series with Ginny Allen in Egram 7. Join us next week to catch part two of this interview. Don't forget Typology Live at the Balboa Theater in San Diego, March 21st. Go to typologypodcast.com and get your tickets now. Until next week, this is Anthony Skinner wishing you peace and love. See ya.